Welcome to the Health Trip Podcast. My name is Jill Foos. I'm a functional medicine and integrative nutrition health coach. I created this podcast to bring you along as we travel down intriguing science-packed roads, debunking old medical paradigms and perusing new innovative therapies and modalities with the finest functional medicine doctors, practitioners, and like-minded biohackers while living our best life. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on Health Trip Podcast, and welcome to season three. If you're a midlife woman, then your bone health should be at the top of your list to have properly assessed. As women age and transition from perimenopause to menopause to postmenopause and beyond, our bone health is at risk for some more than others, especially if there's a family history there. Here's a stat from the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. Of the estimated 10 million Americans with osteoporosis, about 8 million or 80% are women. Approximately one in two women over the age of 50 will break a bone because of osteoporosis. A woman's risk of breaking a hip is equal to her combined risk of breast, uterine, and ovarian cancer. Let that sink in. Perimenopause can start for women in their 30s, and the average age for a woman to go into menopause is 51. So right there, you've got a possible 15 to 20 years that your bone health could be declining. In conjunction with declining and fluctuating hormones, let alone years of possible suboptimal uh, lifestyle, nutrient deficiencies, uh, poor sleep, on and on. Since our current healthcare model is not set up to prevent disease and health issues. It's your job to be your own self-advocate, especially when it comes to your bone health. One of the tests that I recommend for all my midlife women clients to get is a DEXA scan, which is the gold standard for assessing your bone mineral density and risk of osteoporosis. Unfortunately, most health insurance companies will not pay for this test as a preventive measure until you are 65 years old, 70 for men. As an out-of-pocket expense, it's really not that bad. It's around $150 to $250, and you then want to be working with a doctor who is well-versed in reading the results to help you navigate any bone health issues that you may have with lifestyle, diet, supplements, and possible uh, medication. So you don't need a doctor's script to go get a DEXA scan, although if you want to get it covered by your insurance or at least try, then you definitely do. I've invited back Dr. Chris, Christy DeSapri for another episode to go over what a DEXA scan is, how it works, how to read the report, and then what steps to take next, if any, are necessary. So we're going to use my very recent DEXA scan that I'll pull up. And so if you're listening to this podcast, I suggest that maybe you hop on over to my YouTube channel at Jill Foos Wellness to watch this podcast. Dr. Christy DeSapri is a board-certified internist specializing in midlife women's health. After fellowship training at the Cleveland Clinic, she has worked in private practice and academic medicine for over 13 years, including being the director of the Northwestern Women's Bone Health Program at the Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause at Northwestern Medicine in Chicago. She is currently opening Bone and Body Women's Health a concierge midlife women's health practice in the Chicago area focused on consultation and management of perimenopause, menopause, osteoporosis, and sexual health. 
A short little medical disclaimer before we dive in by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice for making any lifestyle changes to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Consult your physician for any medical issues that you may be having. And this entire disclaimer also applies to any of my guests on my podcast. So sit back, open your minds, and let's dive in to DEXA scans. Hi, Dr. DeSapri. Welcome back to the Health Trip Podcast. Hi, Jill. How are you on this snowy day? Yeah, it's pretty cold out. We're both located in Chicago for those of you tuning in and we are sub zero degrees out right now. So it is a perfect day for a podcast. That's right. No better time to talk about DEXA body composition in the right. winter when we're all thinking about the summer. <laughs> yes. So we did a podcast last season and we talked about bone health. That was one of your specialties. And we went really deep into why bone density changes even occur as women's age. We talked about options that are available to support osteoporosis. So I encourage everyone listening, if you haven't checked out that episode, go back to season two and look that one up. So today we're going to do something really fun and different and interesting. And we're going to dive into my personal DEXA scan. And for those of you who have never heard of a DEXA scan, you have no idea what we're talking about. That is why we have Dr. DeSapri here. So let's first just talk about this, this test and all of the special nuances around it. Okay. Well, I think first, you know, when we think about DEXA, DXA, um, I think it's always important. Let's start at the beginning, right? So what does that stand for? What is this measure? And um, where do I get it? I mean, right? The what, where, when, why, and how. Right. So I think that the, so DEXA stands for dual energy X-ray absorptiometry. So DEXA is actually a glorified X-ray of um, certain areas of our body. Primarily, we scan the spine as well as the hips and sometimes the forearm. And what we're looking at is we're looking at the BMD or bone mineral density. So sometimes the DEXA is also called a BMD study or a, a bone mineral density scan. Um, and that actually, if we look at the bone mineral density in those sites in the spine and the hip and sometimes the one-third forearm, that estimates bone strength by about 60%. So that's why when we're looking at our density and our strength and understanding our risk for a fracture, and we'll get through how all those, um, you know, sort of are, are uh, combined in a minute, that's why we use the DEX as a screening test for prediction of uh, low bone density, osteoporosis, and then subsequently our risk of a fracture. Not all low bone density uh, causes a fracture. Not all fractures are caused by low bone density. It's important to know that. But when we look at a screening test, that's what we're looking for, capturing women and men who are at low uh, risk for fractures due to a low bone mineral density. A DEXA is um, a low radiation. It's one one hundredth of an X-ray. It's about the same amount of radiation as you would get just like walking around in a day. So it's a very low. It's less than 0.01 millisieverts. So um, really don't need to be concerned about that. Um, you generally, most places have you undress or wear no uh, metal, including no like belly button piercings or any other metal um, when we're doing that, like belts, bras, et cetera, to get a good standard scan of the spine, um, generally the lumbar spine and and then the, the hip scan at the hips as well. And then sometimes the forearm. So lots of valuable information that we can get about bone mineral density. And we'll talk about some of the other things we can do with DEXA uh, if we uh, choose to as well. Yeah. So who's a good candidate for this test? 
So I think that just depends on who you ask, you know, good candidate. I think it depends on whether um, you ask, you know, the medical societies, um, what sort of information we have um, that's been validated um, versus, you know, when, when we think about looking at prevention. So I know you and I are both focused on more on prevention. I always say prevention is the best cure. So when we think about bone mineral density, we know that and we talked about this in our first podcast that women at menopause are going to lose up to 20% of their bone mass, primarily in the spine or in the trabecular or femoral neck compartment of their bone density. That's why you see those numbers look sometimes a little bit lower than our total hip T-score or our forearm T-score. So when we think about menopause, that can happen at many different ages for women. That can happen at surgical menopause. It could be early menopause, premature menopause, natural menopause at age 50. Most of the medical medical society societies say that if you don't have any risk factors, you should have a DEXA at 65. Most, you know, gynecologists, most people in the menopause world, most people in the prevention world really feel like that's way too late. Yeah. And many women have risk factors for bone loss earlier, just being female, low body mass, Asian or Caucasian ethnicity, having a family history of osteoporosis or fractures, having a history of any malabsorptive issues, having any medical um, um, uh, medical, um, what was I going to say, medical complications or conditions that might lower your absorption of calcium, vitamin D, or increase your risk for fracture, things like steroids, cancers, aromatase inhibitors, so many different types of conditions can increase your risk. So it's important to know that earlier. Um, and we know that just some women genetics, you know, plays a role. So 70% of our, our bone mass is inherited. So, so many women mm -hmm. I see have lower bone mass due to things that happened before menopause that we need to, or just genetics. So many women should have a DEXA at the time of their menopause transition, whether they're 40, whether they're 50. Um, and, and for many women, that's really what should be done. Um, and we know from good evidence that that helps, you know, again, predict future fractures. And if not predict future fractures, it helps us understand what can we do to prevent osteoporosis, to prevent those mm -hmm. fractures in our subsequent decades of life. Yeah. So you were talking about the age of 65 and that the most health insurance won't cover this unless you are 65. I think it's 70 for men. Mm -hmm. So this is not a high cost test. I mean, it's not dirt cheap, but it's certainly attainable for many people. Um, so when we're talking about perimenopausal and menopausal women going to get this, do they have to have a doctor's prescription to go get this or can they just go get it? Yeah. So at this point, you know, again, I'm a physician, you know, uh, you know, have my own practice. I, I really felt this is such an important area that I, you know, have a DEXA scan here in my office to make that accessible, to make the results accessible, to explain those, to really come away with not just a piece of paper that says, what is this bone marrow density? What's a T-score and a Z-score? But really what is like, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my risk of fracture? What does this mean for me now? How can we, you know, change this in the future? But most women, like you mentioned, peri and uh, menopausal women need an order if they want to get that at a hospital or, you know, a, a location, a freestanding radiology center from either, you know, their internist or gynecologist or their, you know, subspecialist to get that. So a, a medical order to, to get that. Um, and, and there are some, you know, ways that we could be creative. Yes, screening for osteoporosis is a diagnosis, but if you have a family history of, or any of the other conditions that I just mentioned, that is all a reason to get a DEXA and then insurance should cover those reasons. If you've lost any height or already had a fracture already, you should be, a DEXA should be automatically done. And unfortunately, we're not doing enough of those. Um, 
And then in terms of other DEXAs, you know, at freestanding places, a commercialization of DEXAs is now happening, mostly because people are more concerned about their body composition, understanding what their fat mass is, their free fat mass, their skeletal mass. And so that also provides a total body bone mineral density, but very uh, often does not provide the, the nuanced details of looking at the hip and the spine separately or looking at the bone quality. So you absolutely can get a DEXA in the hospital or a radiology center or in these some of these commercial places that are offering DEXA, but mostly they're offering that for body composition, not so much looking at the bone mineral density or your risk of a fracture. Again, we need to move osteoporosis to the forefront and have that be more attractive and more um, and, and something that we care about uh, on the inside. We care about our bones on the inside, not just uh, external appearances and not just, you know, fat mass. Yeah, absolutely. And how often should women have this test on? So that also varies, you know, based on um, your age, your risk factors, your risk of a fracture if you're on treatment. You know, the answer from, you know, insurance companies is that they'll cover a DEXA every two years or so, two to three years if you have osteopenia or something we call low bone mass or osteoporosis. Women who are on treatment, generally that should be done yearly. So if you're on a treatment to see if you're reducing your risk of fracture, whether that be hormones, whether that be, you know, um, an osteoanabolic treatment, whether that be one of our um, anti-resorptive therapies like bisphosphonates or denosumab, really that should be done yearly or every other year. Uh, you know, I find again, why I invested in this therapy is that I think that it's really important to get accurate results, you know, done consistently. And so for my patients, I am doing DEXAs, you know, yearly. Yeah. The patients I see are at higher risk as well and are trying to be very preventative and, and I endorse all of those things. Yep, for sure. So you were talking a little bit about body composition and that that can also show up on a total DEXA, uh, total body DEXA scan, right? Um, but let's talk about the difference between a DEXA and then maybe one that's very popular called the in-body, which are at a lot of gyms and a lot of people who are especially on weight loss journeys, or maybe they're working with a trainer and they check in every three to six or nine months on an in-body. Let's just clearly go over the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> to date right now, we've been talking about bone mineral density as a looking at the strength and looking mm -hmm. at the bones, like really looking again at the bones. We know that a DEXA is actually the gold standard for also looking at our body composition, because when we look at the bones, we can also do something called a, and this can't be done on every DEXA, I should say. When we have a whole body DEXA, we can look at the, you know, the bone mineral concentration or calcium we, or content, I should say. We can look at the fat mass. Um, we can also look at the muscle mass. And so that body composition on most standard DEXAs, whether it's a hologic DEXA or a GE Lunar, which I think is what you had done on a GE Lunar scanner, that takes about seven minutes or so. So longer than you know, or different than the scanned sites that you're doing with a with a when you're looking for bone mineral density. Um, and so this is, um, you know, done routinely with you laying still and evaluating all the different areas of our body. And it kind of, again, calculates that free fat mass, the lean body mass, mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. bone marrow calcium. And then it gives us a report with all those things. And it calculates special things like your uh, android to gyanide ratio and your appendicular lean mass and, and some of these things that we'll, we'll touch on. Um, that does not routinely just come when you do a DEXA for a bone mineral density for screening for osteoporosis or osteopenia. And unfortunately, you know, at large academic institutions, there's really no diagnosis code that we're using, using a DEXA for these uh, testing. So that's where we're seeing, again, more commercialization of things like a use of a DEXA. 
which I think is the gold standard. And then there are other tests that have been done. You know, you remember this from your time is that we used to measure fat mass by using calipers. Remember mm-hmm. when that was done? Mm-hmm. I think someone tried to measure, like I went to it, like I say, I like went to a gym, I think after a pregnancy or two, and they tried to measure my um, fat mass, like using calipers. I think I was like two months postpartum. I was like, I'm absolutely not doing this. Like, what are you talking <laughs> <Right>. about? <laughs> um, like I'm here. So I'm not like, don't start peeing my pants. Like, eh, right. Just, here aside but like again yeah you have to think about why we're doing these things and I know you touched on you know looking at you know cha- making changes in weight loss or making changes in resistance exercise and skeletal mass to, to help us along the way so this is why we're doing these tests the in body is is a um, you know is the name of something that is just a bioimpedance I have to look at the name because I always don't want to mess it up a bioimpedance analysis which is basically measuring um, electrical currents um, through our body they travel at different wavelengths through water through different types of tissue like fat and muscle and so it measures I think you hold on for like two minutes and yeah. it sort of measures that and again these are this is a rough estimate because it's again measuring the water content electrical activity it's an indirect measure just because it's simple and easy doesn't mean it's the best um, way so it's one way i think that's becoming more widely available because people are looking beyond the bmi or body mass you know index which mm-hmm. again is sort of a quick and dirty number that we're moving beyond and so body composition does have you know good um, data behind it. There is a database, the NHANES, which is the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which is reviewed by the CDC and sort of validated, has 20,000 subjects from 8 to 85 years old. And they have this peer-reviewed you know, database for body composition, as well as for bone mineral density. So again, this is where the DEXA has more validity, more reproducibility, uh, I would say also, you know, more accuracy. And even the ISCD, which is the International Society of Clinical Densitometrists, is what people who read DEXA appropriately, this is a training, this is certification, mm-hmm. this is an ongoing certification, you know, hours of, of time. They have also adapted this NHANES um, uh, database for for the hip as well as for or for body composition. So I would really, if you're know, thinking about the gold standard, we're, we're thinking about the DEXA. All these others, calipers, biopedance, the bod pod, some of these other things, sure, they're out there. I don't think the validity um, is the quite there yet, though. Yeah, I think they are helpful, though, if you're someone who's on a weight loss journey and you're not going to go get a DEXA scan like every three months, right? You're just not going to do that. Um, but jumping on an in-body, if it's available at your gym, might be a good way to just sort of monitor your progression. Yeah. I mean, I think again, people, you know, we know this, we know from when we check, put someone on cholesterol lowering medicine, we Mm -hmm. want, you know, positive validation. And I do think that, sure. I mean, I, I think if we're making lifestyle modifications, that can be helpful. I just think again, when we think about the the gold standard of looking at body fat mass. Yeah. And specifically, we also have to remember that we have to look at that by, you know, age and weight. Like mm-hmm. we're talking many of my, my patients, I know you see a wider range, but most of my patients are women in their you know thirties through eighties who again are going through menopause, having other, you know, we know that at menopause, there's shifts in, you know, subcutaneous and, and fat tissue and fat mass adipose tissue around the, you know, the abdomen or organs, which increases your risk for, so many things, obesity, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease. We know that so much so that the American Heart Association really has put menopause as one of the risk factors for heart disease, you know, mm-hmm. not just biologic aging, but menopause is one of the times. And we've seen that, you know, time and time again. Now we're finally starting to understand and realize that this is um, menopause. We need to take action and take note 
both in bone and cardiovascular. And again, maybe if this is one way that we can be doing that by tracking body composition. Yeah, absolutely. So before I bring up my scan, I want to also just bring up sarcopenia in the mm -hmm. relationship to osteoporosis. And I think this is a bi-directional um, relationship that between the two. So if you could just speak about sarcopenia and how it differs from osteoporosis, but how it's also connected. Yeah. So I think this is a term because I think we're becoming more aware of like skeletal mass, muscle mass, um, fall risk, um, predicting these things, um, how our chronic medical conditions, even like cancer, contributes to things like cachexia or weight loss or muscle wasting. I think these things are all pointing to the fact that we we know that there is, like you mentioned, an intricate relationship between muscle and bone, sort of like you said, a bi-directional. Because of course, you know, when I, my patients ask me about resistance exercise and things, I say, right, what's going to impact the muscle is going to also impact the bone, right? The bone, yep. the muscle is going to be supported around the bone and vice versa. And strong. We know that when we measure studies that measure the vastus lateralis, which is the basically a, a, a term for you know your quadricep muscles, when we look at the with the diameter and the width of those um, muscles, that also predicts you know disability and falls. When the muscle is thin and and frail, there's a higher risk for falls, fractures, disability. So sarcopenia is a really a medical term that is um, the that really brings together loss of muscle or skeletal muscle and loss of function. So whether that and how we measure sarcopenia is also evolving in the medical literature. Really, we can measure, you know, sarcopenia by loss of muscle, but it also has to be function. So that's either grip strength or muscle strength in the thigh, push out strength, something like that. I mean, it's it's not rocket science, right? We know when we lose, when we go through, when we age, and we know that every decade of life, we're going to be losing muscle mass. And then if we increase our risk for falls, and then we increase our risk for fractures, these things go hand in hand, chronic medical diseases as well, mm -hmm. contributing to that. So I think it's, they're both very important, obtain, continuing to think about muscle, bone, falls, balance, because when we look at the overall, you know, risk of for falls, remember, I just said the bone marrow density makes 60% of our bone strength and helps us predict who could fracture. But then there's all the other things, right? Lifestyle, balance, fall risk, um, all, all these other things that contribute to an overall fracture. So one part just can't be the answer, right? We need to think about it in totality. And so I think more people are thinking about sarcopenia, prevention of sarcopenia, mm -hmm. talking about muscle mass, especially when we think about, I know we're getting a little off tangent here, but when we think about things like our GLP-1 agonists that are um, helping us, helping with weight loss, you know, if we're just going to lose fat mass, are we going to lose skeletal muscle mass at the same time? Well, that's not going to be good for us, right? Because we're not right. really loading, we're not loading the bone and that's bad for bone mineral density. And we know that from, you know, our studies with gastric bypass patients. So um, I think it's really an evolving area. And the fact that we're able to, we need to be a little bit better at measuring sarcopenia. So this is where the DEXA can sometimes come in and we look at muscle, the muscle itself, but we need to look at the function of the muscle um, in addition to when we think about sarcopenia. Yeah. And sarcopenia historically has been the disease of the elderly, right? It's that great grandparent of yours that's in a nursing home who has zero independence in terms of their lifestyle. And um, we know that it's starting to be found in younger women, like starting in their thirties now, which is a little nuts. Right. I mean, when we think about exercise, right. And what we're recommended, I think there's always, you know, there's always shifts in exercise patterns. And I think mm -hmm. we're now in one that is maybe 
putting science a little bit better, you know, in mm -hmm. terms of doing some resistance exercise, it's not all mm -hmm. about the numbers and the scale. This is where body composition right. you know, matters, um, you know, strength. Um, and again, remember women are living longer, the average lifespan, yep. you know, women are living a third to half of their lives in the menopausal years. And so, right, we want to prevent fractures, you know, one, you know, one in two women fall over the age of, or sorry, one in three women fall over the age of 65, one in two women over the age of 50 have an osteoporosis related fracture in their lifetime. So those statistics are grim if you're going to live over 50. So we have to do the things before those ages that are going to prevent the losses and sarcopenia muscle loss. I think, you know, that starts to decline around the 70th decade of life. So you yeah. just mentioned that patient, you know, the old elderly, you know, super, you know, you know, in their eighties or nineties, you know, we want to be like the super agers. We want to pre be preventing those things. And, and I think again, the messages of prevention sometimes don't, you know, uh, are, are not as pervasive as some of the, you know, some of the, oh, just we can treat that later. We can treat that later. But we sarcopenia, we don't have any treatments for that, right? We we have treatments right. for osteoporosis, but we don't have any medical treatments for sarcopenia. We have nutrition, understanding about, you know, protein intake and things like that. But we have no treatment for that yet, except for lifestyle, exercise, um, and, and treatment of the conditions that you have to prevent worsening of that. Absolutely. This is why having that greater vision of what you want your life to be in your 70s, 80s, and 90s really comes into play. Working with someone like myself, uh, National Board um, Health Coach, and there's so there's over 10,000 of us now, we're there to help bridge that gap between that diagnosis or that greater vision in real life. How are we going to put this into play, starting with smaller steps so that they can achieve success? And sarcopenia is huge. I talk to, um, I give presentations on this all the time, you know, what is that greater vision? Do you want to continue to go to the farmer's market at age 83 and carry back your bags of groceries or your, your produce by yourself, right? You know, how important is that to you? So really thinking about these, that longevity component is really important, just as important as looking at this hard data. So mm -hmm. I've brought up my, uh, the total body composition. So let's go through what, tell us what are the, the, the big things here to look at? Yeah. So every, you know, every, um, every scan is a little bit different in how they lay everything yeah. out and how, yeah. how you're going to see your body, but you know, um, you know, so again, and I don't know if you want to first maybe click on the person, because I think that's like what I kind of think is easiest to understand from this, you know, from the start. Yep. So what are we looking at? So we say a total body, like literally they are, we're looking at, at, you know, at your total body. So we're looking at the bone, which in this case, and every scan will be a little bit different. I, I read hologic scans. So the bone is a different color, but you could see, you know, the bone is in, you know, white, um, and then the lean is in um, orange and then the fat, which you have very little of, <laughs> it's in the, uh, in the yellow. So, um, so that's sort of where we see, and that's where we'll see, obviously the bone is going to be where we always see the bone and our pelvis and our legs and our arms and our clavicle um, and our skull. And then we're going to look in um, at, you know, at our lean body mass. So we want to see that obviously in our lower extremities, upper extremities, around the hip area. And then where we're looking at fat mass is primarily, again, in the, um, in the android area, which is the area around the abdomen um, and organs, and then gynoid area around sort of like the hips area. And so many women will have different distributions of where you can see that. But I think it's really helpful just to see that 
outright, like, okay, what are we looking at? Where are we looking? Mm -hmm. um, what regions do we have? Um, and then if you go back to the report, um, perfect. And so again, we're focusing here on, you know, mass and, and, and lean mass and, and everything. So this is going to tell you, obviously, your weight and your total mass, and then your total body. So the things that I would focus on are what they're sort of listed at the top here. So your um, total, you know, body fat uh, percentage. And so that is the number that really, again, we exclude you know, um, we, the lean mass and we exclude water and, you know, we exclude the bone. What is the total body fat percentage? And that really um, is sort of on a, you know, again, a continuum based on the NHANES database, you know, ideal body fat for women, again, in a body composition, not BMI is between 23 and 33, you know, percent. Um, so again, lower body fat, is, you know, again, can be ideal if you have more skeletal mass um, and skeletal body mass, but that's generally what we're recommending for most uh, peri to postmenopausal uh, females. And then we can wait, look say, at- Wait, say that range again. It's 23 to 33% is what's okay. considered within normal. Uh, Got it. Within normal, again, based on the NHANES database of, Got uh, it. Of, of, of women. And it's different for men, et cetera. And then if you were to add up, you can see across the top here, your total body mass, sorry, your fat mass plus your lean tissue um, plus the bone, that's going to equal, you know, your weight. So that's how the, they, you know, you, you get, you get to that, you know, um, uh, you know, that's how you get to that number. And even when you look at the fat free mass, again, the 98.6, so that's the, the mass that is, you know, fat free mass. So you have a very high level of skeletal muscle um, in, in your body, in your body. And um, I'm sure, I don't know if you've done the in body, but if this correlates, yeah. you know, pretty nicely uh, to that as well. And then sometimes they'll track, you can see it track changes a long time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so that's what I look at. So again, to body fat percentage and think about that, your age and your demographic, your uh, free fat mass, again, the, the total the total percent of lean tissue and bone mineral uh, calcium, make sure all those numbers equal up to your, the total mass that you are uh, weighed on that day. Uh, and so that can be pretty helpful. And I, again, I think I review that, you know, with the picture. Um, other, other um, I don't know if you're la the last oh, page. Wait, but... I wanted to ask you one question. So is there a certain... Is there a certain amount of your lean mass that should show up on here in terms of, um, there's an equation, all right, let me back up here. There's an equation you can use. It's a hundred minus your total body fat percentage. And that gives you your optimal lean mass. And so I've done a lot of studying on that number and mm -hmm. an optimal number is 70 to 90% of your lean mass is, is where you want to be. So for me, it'd be a hundred minus 18. So it's going to give me around 82. So I fall within that 70 to 90% of that optimal range. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about this equation? Yeah. Too? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of different equations. I mean, looking at the, I generally look more at the, like at the visceral, I don't know if it's on yours, but like the visceral adipose tissue, which is again, the adipose tissue around the organs, because I know that that is more validated in terms of risk for the conditions mm -hmm. like, 
like obesity and metabolic disorder and cardiovascular disease in women. So I look at the visceral adipose tissue. Yep. I think you have it here and yeah. it's the hormonally sort of active, you know, fat tissue. And then I also look, um, yeah, at the android to gynoid uh, fat distribution and in, in women that should be less than 0.8. Again, so these are all looking at, you know, different areas, particularly the ones that are, uh, you can see from this, you know, this picture here. So your visceral adipose tissue, does it say... Um, so your AG ratio is well under 0 0.81, mm -hmm. which for women is, you know, concerning. And then, so the, oh yeah, yours is 5.54, uh, which again, looks like it's, I think it's probably in the green. Oh, here yeah, it is, right here. Yeah. So um, yeah. And then generally that should be in grams per centimeter squared. I know if it's less than a hundred grams per centimeter squared, that's ideal for the visceral adipose tissue. This one looks like it's in inches uh, squared. Well, here they um, have, they have your the oh, green, healthy. the okay. orange and the yeah. red. So they calculate. So I'm in the ideal healthy. Yeah. So they did, they calculated in inches you know, squared. So that's where every I use a hologic, so it's a different mm -hmm. type, but that's exactly, it's looking at the volume of the visceral mm -hmm. adipose fat around that area that, that you can see here. So those are the more validated ones. And that's what I sort of use, you know, to look at. Um, yeah. So again, again for, for people who aren't familiar with visceral fat, can you just break that down real quick? Yeah. So again, visceral fat is the hormonally sensitive, you know, fat that is, um, around, you know, organs, um, right. or around hips and thighs. So, um, we understand that is like, again, the fat stored in areas that is, you know, causing insulin resistance, um, is, um, leading to, you know, again, obesity, um, and really is also concerning to, for, you know, cardiovascular disease, fat around the heart, um, for long dis deposition of time affecting cholesterol levels. Um, so, you know, we, we know these things, we know this is like, again, this is saturated fat around our organs, um, and is, is harder to lose. And is also, we know for women, particularly, again, we focus on, you know, menopause is the area where more fat tends to distribute. So this is where we really need to target, you know, our healthy interventions, our resistance exercise, so that, you know, we can literally, this is like, you know, working against ourselves. I always say it's, it's unfair. You know, we, we right. you know, women have menopause. We know that estrogen again is very hormonally sensitive. We know that estrogen receptors are everywhere in our body. And with this sharp decline in estrogen, a lot of things are happening. Metabolism changes, bone changes, um, genital urinary syndrome of, of menopause, which is vaginal dryness, uh, changes, libido issues can change, things in our hypothalamus and our brain, which is causing hot flashes, insomnia change, joint pains, mood. So we have a lot of things to combat that. I, you know, there's a whole lecture on hormones and women on hormones, hormone therapy for the appropriate patient that is individualized. And this is what I talk about every single day, day in and day out. Um, you know, we know that hormone therapy is a very effective treatment for many things. We are not there in terms of recommending hormone therapy for prevention of weight loss. We do know that women on hormones to the WHI tend to be leaner. We do know from mixed studies that, you know, lean body mass is, um, is preserved on women on standard dose hormone therapy, but that has not always been replicated in any large scale studies. So it's hard to, you know, sell, say that, but we do know for many women estrogen without any contraindications can help combat a lot of these menopausal symptoms, as well as shifts that are happening in our body that maybe are silent symptoms of menopause. I like to say, I would like to add that testosterone is super important for women while it's not our, you know, we're not men and don't have, um, a, a ton of it. It certainly 
extremely important, especially when we're having the body composition talk, right? In terms of building that lean muscle mass and the ability to burn fat. Yeah. So testosterone, you know, I think, right. We're, we, we gender hormones now, like men have testosterone, women have mm-hmm. estrogen, but the reality is we both have all yep. of them just in different percentages. And, and, and now we're having, you know, different, you know, gender affirming surgeries and gender hormone hormones that are being, you know, shared across uh, uh, after surgery and, and, and across patients who are transitioning. So I think that that is helping us in the world of understanding that, yeah. you know, it's, you know, it's not, you know, one hormone for each sex. Um, what I would say with the testosterone is, you know, we know that testosterone declines after the age of 30. Testosterone can be made in our adrenal glands. It can be made in our ovaries. Um, just like estrogen can be made in different places, our ovaries, our adrenal glands, our fat tissues. And so testosterone, when we look at the, you know, the, the F, you know, that we have no FDA approved option for testosterone for women. Hopefully in the next couple of years, I think that that will happen. But we do know that we have testosterone replacement for uh, women with low libido. We also know that there are studies ongoing with using testosterone uh, to help prevent falls, to think of uh, think about you know replacement and, and helping with muscle mass and tissue. So I think that that will come. We don't have you know again an, an option that we we can't use that we can use without compounding that. Or what I don't recommend is pellet therapy um, at, routinely. So. We, we really are sort of in the dark with the scientific literature and having an option for that is safe and effective and reproducible for women with testosterone. Sure, we know that it can help in certain places, um, primarily, again, the indications for low libido or female sexual dysfunction. But I think over time, we'll see more of that. Yeah. My caveat with that is women who have undergone surgical menopause who are very young, obviously we're reducing their testosterone dramatically. And if they don't have another a contraindication, I do prescribe testosterone for them just as I would uh, estrogen replacement therapy. And then the others, it's a nuanced discussion. And I find that many of my women are you know, willing to try uh you know, hormone therapy, whether estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, with again for the right indications with the right information in front of them. Absolutely. That's great. I think in Australia, actually, they have a drug out that is available to women uh, for a a testosterone boosting drug. They do. It's called Androfem, A-N-D-R-O-F-E-M-M-E. You can, um, so I actually just recently asked them to send me samples. They can't send them internationally. Um, but I used to be able to have them in my old clinic. I think before something happened, they, they changed it, but that is available. And um, sometimes I do have patients who, you know, travel or, or go pick that up or they, you can order that online. You can like talk to a physician and they will send it to you. And it's based on the fact of, you know, trying to reach a uh, testosterone level that's best basically a premenopausal mean mm-hmm. for, right. uh, and, and so it's not super, th- you know, physiologic uh, testosterone doses. And that's how I dose my testosterone based on those ranges. And we almost had a testosterone patch approved here in the United States. Uh, unfortunately, the FDA declined it, but um, we, we do have quite a bit of research on use of testosterone in women, just nothing FDA approved. Yep. Hopefully soon. <laughs> Is there anything Agreed. else on this, on this page that we want to go over? So I think nicely, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty laid out pretty well. Okay, great. And then this is the muscle mass balance analysis. Anything you want to go through here? 
Yeah, I don't see this on mine very often. I mean, again, we're going to see this is maybe more for like, you know, like elite athletes or a, or a, the, the you know, some someone with more, you know, experience on looking at left versus right side or if you're really trying to train or if there's been an injury. You know, sometimes I see patients with that, you know, who've had an injury and they're trying to regain mm -hmm. the muscle mass on that side or they've had a stress fracture, et cetera. So I think this would just need to be interpreted with someone who is ordering that and looking at that correctly. Again, it looks is looking at the lean mass um, and, you know, more we're looking, you know, at skeletal mass here than we were yeah. how much fat is in your arm. I think we need to be thinking uh, overall. Yeah. All right. So let's go back here and then I'm going to bring up the spine and the femur. So in here, the we have a T score and a Z score. So before we talk about my scores, let's just have you uh, explain mm -hmm. the differences between the T and the Z score. Yeah. And, and so remember, I just want to remember, remind everyone that this is looking at the total body bone mineral right. density. So not the, the areas where we actually routinely look, you know, for targeted T and Z score where this is more validated. So right. we use a total body T score uh, for, you know, pediatrics um, and sometimes for people who have had a gastric bypass, but really that's where it's, where it's validated. Um, and so the T-score and the Z-score, those are, again, you can see it says here combined NHANES, which is, again, uh, that National Health and Nutrition uh, Education Survey, which, again, was 20,000 uh, women and men uh, age 8 to 85. And so we had validated, um, validated by the World Health Organization and the CDC looking at what is the uh, mean for women before menopause, what is uh, the mean after menopause. So a T-score is a standard deviation. It takes that BMD or bone mineral density that you can see there in grams per centimeter square and sort of makes it uh, in a more palatable sort of scientific, um, you know, explainable and relatable um, a standard deviation from the a normal adult mean. And generally a T-score is comparing someone's bones, uh, particularly women at the age of 30. So someone at their peak bone mass. And so we see derivations from the uh, peak bone mass. A T-score um, is in generally, you know, from uh, negative, you know, negative 1.1 to minus 2.4 is in the range of osteopenia, any number hot, you know, above minus 1.1 is considered a normal T-score. As uh, osteoporosis is defined as a T-score of minus 2.5 or lower on a DEXA. Uh, again, this has to be done correctly, um, looking at the appropriate sites. That's one way to diagnose osteoporosis. You can also diagnose osteoporosis from having a clinical fracture like a vertebral hip, arm, pelvis, uh, forearm, humerus, or shoulder fracture, that really also means that there's some sort of bone health issue going on that you could have a diagnosis of clinical osteoporosis or that makes the diagnosis, I should say. And then as these score is compares your bones to someone of a, again, an NHANES database that's been validated. So uh, compares your bone density to someone of a similar age, race, sex, and ethnicity matched. Um, you can imagine that the, like all of our other health research, most of these uh, are based on an, a Caucasian uh, databases. We have over the years improved our understandings of different bone mineral densities based on different ethnicities like uh, Asian ethnicities, African-American, et cetera. So mm -hmm. the Z-score, we sometimes have to take a little bit with a grain of salt. When a Z-score is below minus 1.5 or some medical associations say minus two, that tells us, you know what, you're, there's a, you're, 
your 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 bone mineral density is pretty different than most you know people your age, say sex, race, and ethnicity match. So that means this shouldn't be lower than all these people. So why are you so far up? Kind of like in a test, you know, if you were, you know, if, if everyone was scoring an 80 and you were scoring 50, we would say, well, why is that going on? So that means that's a wake up call, right? That for premenopausal women, we usually report the Z-score. Um, and, and for postmenopausal women, we report both the T and the Z-score, which are, again, both, both helpful in different ways, but need to be interpreted by someone who understands those results. And I always caveat that the test is done correctly by, you know, a, a tech as well as someone reading it who understands how to do DEXA and read DEXA. Yep, for sure. Okay, I'm going to stop this one and yeah. then bring up, um, let's see, which page should we bring up? Do you have a preference? Hip, nope. spine? Doesn't matter. Okay, we'll do spine. All right, now we have up my spine. Okay, great. So when we look at the spine, so, you know, again, if we're just going to walk through this, like, let's say you're my patient today mm, yep. um, and I'm all writing, I'm running right on time. <laughs> and so what we would look <laughs> at is we would look at um, first your name and is uh, your date of birth. And did they actually do a height and a weight that day? I measure everyone on a wall mounted stadiometer, which isn't just one of those clunky machines that you were measured at when you were, you know, when you were a child, you know, we want to have you take off your shoes, look straight ahead to the horizon, uh, make sure that we're evaluating your height correctly because height loss is important because that can be sometimes a sign of either, you know, a fracture or mm -hmm. it can be the sign of arthritis or we just need to figure out why are you losing height? Because that also, you know, is important, um, at, you know, as we age, obviously weight done correctly. Um, and when we look, it's very important again, that we, um, you know, uh, we look at the, all the vertebrae that are in question. So generally we're looking for lumbar one, lumbar L1 through L4. These are our lumbar vertebrae. These are our load bearing bones of the body. The reason we use these is number one, it's sort of out of any of the organ systems that we can't also capture. You can kind of see your lower ribs um, there on the bottom, but also um, we know that again, this is these are the areas, the thoracic and our lumbar areas are very uh, common areas for fracture. So we can actually evaluate fracture on a bone mineral density. The mm. one thing I would say about your bone density is that those white lines, those like two white lines, so that's your bra, that's your underwire bra. So actually <clears throat> that should be removed because that can be an artifact in many people's um, scans. So really underwire any wire, even I've had patients with like continuous glucose monitors who had to like move over to the side. So they're not overlying. <clears throat> this is one of the reasons why we have people not take their calcium supplement or have any radiation because actually sometimes we can see a little barium or radiation or mm. a calcium supplement on or a like or a tablet in someone's pocket show up and that's called like an artifact. So we want to make sure that we don't have any of those artifacts um, in. We want to be capturing L1 through L4, which it looks like they they did correctly um, in your in your scan. You kind of can see your lower ribs down at the bottom, and generally mm -hmm. we like to see the top part of the pelvis. So. Um, and then what we do is, again, we look at each one of the vertebrae. I don't see any, you know, compression of any vertebrae. They look all pretty homogeneous, which is good. You don't have any scoliosis. Many women I do have many complications, either scoliosis or they've had spinal surgeries or fusions, et cetera. So we, uh, or advanced arthritis or fractures themselves. So we really have to look at that uh, scan appropriately. And then we look at the L1, each one of the vertebrae, and then also 
uh, the t-score between all of them and then the composite t-score at the at the end to make sure that we think that that score is correct and we've correctly assessed it so your t-score says that your your t-score or your standard deviation from an adult peak meet or adult uh yeah peak uh is minus 1.3 which would mm -hmm. as you can see from the picture put you right in the range of osteopenia or we actually medically call that term now low bone mass um so it more aptly discusses what what that is when we look at your z-score you know again most women just most people just report at the t-score but your z-score again shows yep you're right on average you're not too high or too low from you know people in your age i always want to say you know thank you for sharing this and you know you most when we look at bone density 30 percent of women will have a peak bone low peak bone mass um, at their time of diagnosis at their time of menopause or between their you know 50s and 60s so Again, this goes to the fact that when we checking, we're checking for bone density at 65, we're checking too late because we know the incidence in Asian and Caucasian women of having a low bone density or osteoporosis is 50%. So 50% of Asian or Caucasian women who have a DEXA will either have osteopenia or osteoporosis before mm. age 65. That's a lot. We'll flip a coin, I always say. Yeah. You know, So when patients are devastated about their bone density, I see a lot of people about that. I say, yeah, I know. It's it's just it had this is a silent condition of bone loss and we have to figure mm -hmm. out why you have it and what we can do to offset that. We have to rule out secondary causes. So for you I would talk to you about all the, you know, causes and your re reproductive, your medical history, your your lifestyle and we would talk about the the osteopenia. But I see no fractures. I see your spine straight and I see that you have osteopenia and I guess this was your first DEXA. So if it wasn't, I would compare it to prior ones, pull up ones from other organizations we can do something called a cross calibration study which i do on a daily basis comparing one scan to another making sure the region of interest is correct so this is quite scientific actually yeah so then at almost 56 years old for myself is the t-score or the z-score more important i'm assuming it's the z-score well no so it just depends i mean if you're still cycling interestingly like at perimenopausal we Technically, the ISCD, uh, International Society of Clinical Densitometry, says that you should use the Z-score. If you're postmenopausal, whatever age that is, like I can have a 30-year-old woman who's postmenopausal because her ovaries are out, we should use the T-score. Hmm. In the reality, we're using, we kind of use both. Over the age of 40, sometimes it's a little bit gray because you can imagine you know, if we're comparing you to a, someone of a peak bone mass, why don't we use the T-score, but you're still premenopausal, uh, so we're comparing you to similar age race and sex match. So I would say the T-score is, you know, com what we commonly see, but the Z-score um, is more reflective of, you know, you know, met, cy you know, cycling, you know, women. So, and the hardest part is that if we've only reported the Z-score, up until the time you then become postmenopausal, very many women are confused, right? They're saying, oh, they told me I had a normal bone density. And then after menopause, we use the T-score and they're confused about why that is. Hmm. So both are important and need to be understood. But if you're postmenopausal, even if you're on hormone therapy, we still use the T-score. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah, very interesting. All right, here's my hips. Okay, so when we look at your hip, the most important thing is, again, we send, we look at, you know, was the scan done correctly? Were the hips lined up correctly? We're getting enough of your pelvis. I would say, and you can probably see this and now you're going to become an expert in, I'm giving you a fast track on becoming a DEX mm -hmm. expert, is you can see um, on your left hip, can you see how it's like kind of more, 
it's like out a little bit. It's not up and down straight, kind of like your right hip is more the femur, the straight, the part is a little bit straighter. Yes. Yes. So this is a little bit externally rotated. So again, that can sometimes influence the results. It can influence the results at the total hip and the femoral neck. So I don't have a pointer, but the femoral neck is the, the sort of the rectangle box. Exactly. And that whole rectangle box all through there is the Oh, sorry. Rectangle. Yeah. The rectangle box. Oh, that's here. The, yeah, that's right. So that's the femoral neck area or actually mm -hmm. I'm just share a screen and do this. And then your total hip is the whole like sort of box around the whole blue box or around, which you can't really see, but mm -hmm, the whole mm -hmm. box around the hip. And so the femoral neck is again, an area which has, you know, trabecular bone and cortical bone. It tends to be a little bit lower bone density than the total hip area. Mm -hmm. um, and again, same with the right hip. We scan both hips. Generally, a lot of places only scan one hip. I think that's a detriment, you know, in case you have arthritis in one hip or you need a hip replacement for some reason, or you have a fracture. So I generally try and scan both hips if, you know, for, for good, for good symmetry and information. And then you can see the right hip, your femoral neck is minus 2.4 and total hip is minus 1.5. So you are still just like in the range of just like your spine, your your bone densities all sort of correlate. You're in each area, you are in the range of osteopenia um, or low bone mass. And so um, that's really um, important. What's important to know too, though, is you could, let's say your T-score was minus 2.6 in your right femoral neck. Well, that actually makes the diagnosis of osteoporosis if we think the scan was done correctly and, you know, all everything, all the other, you know, stars were aligned. And so many people are confused because they'll say, wait, my, they said I have osteopenia here and osteoporosis here and normal here. So which is it? And, right. you know, I always say what's the what the recommendation is, is that we're again, we're scanning these small snapshots in time. But remember, every bone in our body is made up of a constellation of trabecular bone or cortical bone. So we need to know that, you know, it's not just low in one area, it's low everywhere. So the diagnosis, if you have a T-score minus two point, is really osteoporosis. Now that's not like a death sentence. Okay. This is like, we understand it. We know it, we can figure it out. We can treat it. Um, so again, that's, but it's really important to not just say, oh, it's just osteopenia or, you know, and sometimes reports even will say that, oh, it's osteopenia mm -hmm. in the left hip osteoporosis in the right, that is completely erroneous. There's one clinical diagnosis that you should walk away with. That's really good information to know. I actually was about to ask you that mm -hmm. um, because that is really confusing. Um, it's it's the high, the I guess it's the lowest score, which really is the highest measurement um, is, right. the most, is the most prominent and the most important one to look at. Correct. And we still under, just like body composition, what we just reviewed that we understand the nuances because I'll say to women, many women have a lower spine bone mineral density than they do hip bone mineral density. Or why is the femoral neck a little bit lower than the total hip, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so we describe like there's, this is this area of bone is trabecular bone. This is cortical bone. Could there be a little arthritis in the spine influencing the bone mineral density? Um, could you, you, we know that more bone gets lost through the trabecular compartment. So the femoral neck and the spine through menopause, people who are on steroids though, are going to lose bone density everywhere. So we, we still want to understand the nuances of the different sites, um, and then I don't know if they did the the bone quality. Did they do the trabecular bone score on yours? I don't. I thought I don't. Let's I looked see. at it a couple of days ago. There is this page left. I don't think they 
No, then I don't did. think they did because okay. this is so, all I have left. That's all you have left. Okay. So, and then there's one other test that is, um, you know, being, you know, has been around for now a, a couple of years and it is also validated by the International Society of Clinical Densitometry and it's called something called the trabecular bone score or TBS. So this can be on any lunar or the hologic DEXA and it is again um, done just in the spine. Trabecular stands for, the, the, you know, again, there's types of bone, but primarily bone in the spine is trabecular bone, and it looks at the bone quality. So it's actually done at the time of DEXA. It's a 2D grayscale image of the um, the the quality or the sort of the best estimate of quality or microarchitecture in the bone. So it kind of looks at a laser focus inside the bone. I kind of say that, you know, if we look at the density, it looks like kind of the outside of the, you know, the forest. If we look inside the bone and we see that the forest is kind of, you know, dense and nicely separated or, or nicely aligned, or there's like sparse, there's holes here, there's holes there. That's what helps us understand the quality, whether the bone looks more sort of more patchy or it looks mm. more, more homogeneous. Many women who start menopause have normal bone microarchitecture. We know from the WHI and all the, the studies that when we look, look you know, retrospectively use that data that through menopause, the bone quality also decreases. And then people with underlying conditions like diabetes, rheumatologic conditions, et cetera, the bone quality can degrade. So it's really important to look at the density. And then now we can also look at the quality and put mm. those two together and help us better estimate the bone strength. So it's, amazing. it's one thing to be able to be done. Um, I really find that, you know, it's helpful. You know, it's it's still not, you know, as as appreciated as validated as the as the the density but it can be a, a sometimes a, a helpful piece especially for patients to understand and is help there... us guide therapy i should say and help us guide you know therapy and how high of a risk of fracture we know tbs also independently predicts fracture risk so is there an average t score for postmenopausal women or elderly women who fall and break their hip yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot of like data that I'm trying to distill here in a little time, but so we here's what we do know. We know that for every T score that declines 10%. So every, you know, 10% uh, of bone mineral density equals one T score. So if we start said osteoporosis is minus 2.5 and for every 10% of bone loss, so that means to going from minus 2.5 T score to minus 3.5 T score at 10%. Your risk of fracture, particularly hip fracture, doubles. So hmm. it's concerning when women have start to are losing bone density and their T scores decline, decline, decline over time. Or if they come to me and their first initial DEXA is a minus three or lower, and they're in their fifties, and I think they're going to live till their eighties, and we're going to decline the bone density over time. That's concerning to me. That is something that we don't want your bones to be someone of it. Bones like it. A lot of patients get confused or upset when they're told, "Oh, I have bones of an eighty-year-old when I'm 50. That to me is like not a helpful comment at all. And I would never tell anyone that. And what I would say is, your risk of a fracture is as high as someone who has low bone density in their eighties. So we need to. And you're active and doing all this, you know, you're still, you know, and, and we want 80 year old women to be active too. We just have a different activity, sometimes expectation for women in their eighties for, right. for, for their fifties. So we want them to exercise safely and, and prevent this bone loss for, and fractures because we know that fractures are so common and we can prevent them. The other thing, you know, we know is that when we look at the medical societies, whether that be the endocrine societies, the rheumatologic societies, the, uh, you know, the osteoporosis societies and the gynecologic societies, they all sort of agree that 
People with high risk of fractures are women who are over age 70, less than 10, uh, sorry, over age 70, um, have a T-score of minus three or lower, or, or should I should say, and, and or have had a history of vertebral fracture, hip fracture, major osteoporosis related fracture, like humerus, wrist, hip, you know, all pelvis. Um, so when we look about like the, to answer your question about who's at the highest risk for a hip fracture, how do we know? It's age, low T-score and prior mm -hmm. fracture. And so those are the patients we really, isn't just like talking about calcium, vitamin D and increasing your resistance exercise. Those are the patients we're understanding why do you have osteoporosis and we're aggressively treating that osteoporosis. So you don't fracture. Like I right. always tell patients, it's not just to look better on the test. Sure, everyone wants to get better numbers, and but it's what's the main outcome. Right. And if anyone is out there thinking, all right, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to drop my 25 pounds and then I'm going to go get this total body <clears throat> composition and the DEXA scan, that is not the correct way of thinking. Correct. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, again, I think if the reason why, why they're doing that and, and you're right with the bone mineral, if you lose some weight, you know, when we're carrying around weight in our skeleton, you know, we don't really know the absolute number that affects the skeleton you know, the weight, but we do know with weight shifts, maybe even up to 10 to 15 yeah. pounds, your skeleton is carrying less weight. <laughs> and so there can be bone mineral density decreases. That's where we're looking at maybe body composition to look at skeletal muscle as well. Oftentimes it's more dramatic, like women who or people who go through, you know, bypass surgery and are losing, you know, 50 pounds and things like that. We want to be checking again for absorption issues, making sure they're absorbing calcium, vitamin D, but checking their, their deck, their DEXAs as well. So it's, you know, yeah. it's both, you know, together. So can you use my data and give me a risk assessment, maybe a 10 year risk assessment, or do you use the, do you use the FRAC score? Yeah. So when we're talking about FRACs, I don't know how educated everyone is, but I, you know, the FRAC, there's a lot of risk calculators out there just for everything mm -hmm. for cardiovascular disease. There's a 10 right. year major cardiovascular risk. There's, you know, risk calculators for many things. And the FRACs is one that's pretty well adopted here in the field of, uh, you know, bone health. And it's, it's um, basically, uh, and it's been validated by the WHO. And it basically takes all the questions that you're answering in your questionnaire. Remember when you signed up to get a yeah. DEXA, like, when was your age of menopause? Do you have a family history of osteoporosis? What's your height? What's your weight? Are you a smoker? Um, how much alcohol do you drink? Do you have any secondary osteoporosis? Which most of my patients used to say, what the heck is secondary osteoporosis? So anything that we just talked about in the beginning, if you know, any reason that you might lose bone mass that we should capture, like a medical history or medication or a surgical history that might impact bone health. Um, it asks about, um, if I already said smoking, um, things like that, and glucocorticoid or steroid use. Mm -hmm. And all those sort of clinical variables or personal variables. And then you insert your T-score or your BMD um, of your femoral neck. Um, and again, this helps sort of gives you a calculation of what's your 10-year ten, ten predicted risk for major osteoporosis-related fracture, so hip, spine, mm -hmm. forearm, uh, forearm, pelvis, um, and what's your 10-year risk of a hip fracture. Frax again has been, um, it's an online, I should say also online free tool. It's country specific, uh, age, gender specific. It's very helpful. Sometimes my patients bring it to me and calculate it themselves. The, the, strongest, um, the strongest risk factor in Frax is age. So we, because we know that falls are sort of independently captured in there. So you're a woman's Frax score in their fifties and eighties are dramatically different 
even if their bone mineral density is the exact same. So you can right. sort of play around with that, but hopefully that makes sense to, so what I'm saying is because we know that again, you're higher risk for fracture when you're 80. So your FRAC score is going to always be lower when you're in your fifties. And some women say, well, look, my FRAC score was so low. It doesn't say that I need osteoporosis treatment. But again, we're not talking about treating that fracture. We're talking about primary preventing. Prevention. Yep. So I use the, I like the FRAX. I find that I like individualized therapy better. Remember FRAX was made for populate, is based on populations um, and to help us guide, you know, who might warrant therapy. But I, this is a number, you know, we treat people in individuals. So I think it's generally helpful maybe for a, a screening tool in primary care. If someone has low bone mass or osteopenia and might be, have an elevated FRAX, we need to be thinking about, you know, therapy or mm -hmm. evaluating them. Um, and if it's really low, but you still have osteoporosis, well, that's erroneous use, right? If you have osteoporosis, mm -hmm. we should treat you. We don't want to just falsely say, well, your risk of fracture now in your 50 and your risk of fracture in your 60, but I'm thinking about your risk of fracture in your 70s and 80s. So not so much the, the 10 year yeah. decade sometimes. Yeah. For those that are interested, I'll put the, um, the website for the FRAX tool. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So and yeah, yeah, one other thing about FRAX is now there's a FRAX plus just to like have updated information. However, it's uh, like requires a subscription and it adds more things because there's some misgivings or caveats, just like every risk calculator. Mm -hmm. It doesn't include the spine. And I just explained that the spine bone marrow density can be lower. It doesn't include people with like diabetes, which we know is a really strong risk factor for bone loss and fractures. So it doesn't capture those. So FRAX plus is an attempt to capture more of those mm -hmm. things. Like when's your last fall? When, how much steroid have you used? So not just like a, not just a nom, you know, a yes, no nominal answer, but more of a, a qualitative um, uh, scan. So it's interesting. I think, I, I think you get like five free that you can do. So I've done it on a couple of patients and then you have to subscribe, you know. To oh yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. All right. So here we are. I've got my T-score. I've got a Y-score. I've got all of my scans and, you know, I'm your pretend patient. And so now what, you know, we already in our first podcast episode, we talked about lifestyle. We talked about eating more protein. We talked about getting that sleep, moving every day, doing that resistance training, hit training for women is ideal as well. Um, so we talked about these lifestyle interventions, but let's talk about a little bit more for a few minutes on supplements or possible treatment with medication. So, you know, I mean, you're, I know you're so educated already, but yes, um, in terms of, you know, you know, if you're 50, if you're 55 with osteopenia or low bone mass. So, and, and this, let's say this is your first DEXA and you're like surprised, I would say common, really common, but not, you know, doesn't need to be normal. doesn't need to be accept, expected. And that's really what I think is um, the, the, a really big message that we need to share. Many people are very upset by the diagnosis. It's like, we can do a lot about this to prevent fractures, right? That's the goal. We want to prevent the fractures. We want to maintain the bone mineral density. So we talk about things like calcium, which we talked about, you know, previously calcium, um, adequate calcium in both supplements um, and nutrition um, and, and in diet, I should say, vitamin, appropriate doses of vitamin D. We talked about protein intake. We talked, I would measure your balance. I would check, I check balance in every one of my patients, either mm. the timed up and go 20 second one leg balance test. I talk about all the different types of exercise that you're doing. So, right. Trying to do resistance exercise, which can include your using your own body weight, yoga, Pilates, 
safely doing these things, looking at, um, you know, multi, you know, uh, multi a variety of different types of exercise, of course, aerobic exercise, I try and say exactly what I said last time, what's good for your brain is good for your bones, it's good for your heart, um, it's good for your mental health. So trying to get in some aerobic exercise, whether that's walking, whether that's classes, whether that's, you know, working out at home, YouTube videos, I mean, I now through the COVID pandemic learned so many and I learned another one today from a patient that you can do and download at home or in a group class or doing something yeah. where you are accountable. Um, no I excuses. Always, posture and balance. Mm -hmm. I say, do that easily. Stand on one foot for 20 seconds while you're brushing your teeth, while you're waiting in the grocery store line, while you're waiting for your coffee, um, you know, while you're in the pickup line, something like that. Stand, mm -hmm. practice your balance, challenge your balance. Any, if you're working with a trainer, tell them, I want to challenge my balance. I don't want to just do the basics. I want to challenge my balance. I try and do it too. It's hard, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you get better when you do more. Um, so work on balance because again, we want to prevent a fall. And I always say no medicine, no herbal, no supplement, no botanical is going to prevent a fall. Right. So, um, that's really, really important. You're, you're still young in your fifties, but I say this to even women in their you know forties. Um, and then we talk about prevention, you know, again, prevention for osteoporosis, there's not very many FDA approved options. Hormone therapy is one of them that has been known since the 1940s that is FDA approved that, you know, we know that estrogen prevents height loss vertebral fractures. We've known that. So I talk about hormone therapy to women who don't have any contraindications, which would be estrogen therapy if you've had a hysterectomy or estrogen plus progesterone therapy if you have a uterus and we lots of different options and treatments and doses. And we talk about, I talk about that. Um, there is um, other options that can prevent osteoporosis, raloxifene, or it's a medicine called a CIRM or a VISTA, which is also a medicine that can prevent bone loss at the spine and the hip and is used in women who might be or either contraindication for hormone therapy or fearful about estrogen therapy. And it um, decreases estrogen receptor positive breast cancer in those who have a genetic predisposition to ER positive uh, breast cancer. So that's an option. It's an oral option. There is FDA-approved bisphosphonates like alendronate or resedronate that are used at preventative doses. For many of my younger women in their 50s and 60s, they've been prescribed that and not taken that for very many reasons. So we talk about that as an option potentially. Um, again, for short courses of time, three to five years is what's generally recommended by the, med the medical societies. And I follow those rules as well. There's even an IV dose of steroids if we, or sorry, an IV dose of reclast or zoledronic acid that's used every other year for my patients who are at higher risk with osteopenia or low bone mass who want to be more preventative and who can't take maybe a cadre of the other options. So we really talk about all of those things and then rescanning in, you know, I generally do one year, two years if, you know, if the insurance makes us, but I generally want to say this isn't something that just falls off the radar. Right. Absolutely. What about peptide therapy? Yeah, I don't know very, which what for like what's peptide therapy. Well, there's all different types of peptides, right? But I was thinking of the one that's um, BPC. I think it's 157. It's um, in it helps with lean muscle mass. I don't know if it affects the bone, but we do know that lean muscle mass has a positive effect on bone health. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I this is an area I don't know very much about. I know a okay. lot about the menopause area, and I think here's my my problem with like. You know, I learned about, I learned about someone the, someone the other day, MSM or a different supplement patients mm -hmm. that were asking me about collagen. I mean, there are, you know, there are some observational studies, again, studies looking for that, you know, uh, 
a handful of patients this might be effective for. It's harder to get randomized control studies and things like supplements yes. and et cetera. Yep. So we have really good ones on calcium and vitamin D, some things on vitamin K2. I think we're just not there yet in terms of the others. And I, a lot of patients do get benefit from using some supplements and no harm. The things I get concerned about are things like boron, strontium. These are heavy metals, I think, I, that deposit in the bone. Really not very effective at changing the bone microarchitecture. I wouldn't recommend those. And so <laughs> I think I would look you know, carefully at, all, at, at who's selling me the supplement, why they're selling me the supplement or peptide and what the research really is behind it. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about before we started doing a PubMed research, finding someone in your mm -hmm. area who's, you know, a certified clinical densitometrist, someone through the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation, Menopause Society, who understands some of this literature. And I, I think it's, some of it is, you know, still evolving, right? So. Absolutely. What about red light therapy? And then we're going to I know you sent me that article too. I mean, I mm -hmm. have had more patients asking me about this. I know that that's, you know, kind of going out there. I really have to wear my science hat here and just say, I don't think the jury's out yet. And I, I really mm. wouldn't, you know, recommend it. Yeah. Well, I don't think red light therapy is going to hurt anybody. There's so many, um, I mean, there's thousands of PubMed trials, clinical trials done on red light therapy for other uses for right. mitochondrial function, um, cellular health. But I am really curious to see where it's going to go in terms of bone health. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there's any ongoing studies on that. It's something I'll probably have to look up, but I do yeah. think, yeah, I do think that this is an area that just like muscle and strength and, and things people are paying more attention to. So hopefully that translates into, you know, better, you know, quality research. We know that the, you know, the office of women's health research you know, is sort of funding more high quality research focused on this with the Biden administration um, and a lot of the other you know players in, in the women's health sphere now. So hopefully that will translate to, mm -hmm. you know, some research in areas that we need. I do think osteoporosis, I think female sexual function is another, I think treatment yeah. of uh, breast cancer, uh, patients with breast cancer with, you know, various estrogens and other are, is another good area that we need to look into too. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dr. DeSapri, what a pleasure to have you back on the podcast and what a special um, episode we just recorded for everybody. Lots of golden nuggets for people to walk away from. So when Good. we did our first episode, I know you were just getting ready to open up your new clinic. So tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about uh, where people can find you now. You're open now, correct? I am open. Yeah. yeah. I've been seeing patients since July. It's great. It's so nice to have you know, an office and um, a space and a DEXA and staff. So um, I'm in Winneka. So I'm um, in uh, 570 Lincoln Avenue. Our office is Bone and Body Women's Health. Um, so I see patients for gynecology, for menopause, for midlife, you know, care. We do DEXA here in the office. Um, so I have sort of two two options to see patients either for bone health or sort of for the complete menopause and midlife um, and beyond sort of discussion, all the things that we, we talked about here today. And uh, I also see patients virtually. I have quite a big, um, you know, telehealth, osteoporosis and menopause, really. A lot of patients are struggling to find local providers or experts. And I, I really enjoy, um, you know, talking to patients all across the country. So I have patients now in Colorado and New York, New Jersey, California. So I have um, a pretty large telehealth practice now too. Wonderful. That's awesome yeah. to hear. And I'm glad yeah. that I'm in the same area as you. If I... Sounds like maybe I do need to come see you. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Well, we, we talked about we, yeah. right after dissecting my bones. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. But this is really what is again like required, right? And it's right. so important to know this because then you know again education awareness. This is power. So absolutely. Well, thank you so yeah. much again for joining me, and um, we hope to see you soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks, Jill. Have a nice evening. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Lifestyle changes can be hard and overwhelming to make. By building your support team of functional medicine doctors, therapists, and health coaches, you can reach your optimal health goals. Be sure to check out my other podcasts. Until we meet again, stay healthy.